Hello and welcome to Big Ideas, an exploration of the diverse perspectives, timely research, and lived experiences of Mount Royal alumni and the university community on issues both trending and emerging that impact us all. I'm Noel Ormita, a third-year journalism student and the show producer for this podcast. In the spirit of truth and reconciliation, and to recognize Mount Royal's continued journey to indigenization and decolonization, we acknowledge and celebrate the traditional territories and oral histories of the Nitsitapi and the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Siksika, the Pikani, the Kainai, the Sutina, and the Yahe Nakoda. This land is also home to the Métis Nation. Mount Royal University is situated on land where the Bow River meets the Elbow River. The traditional Blackfoot name for this place is Mokinsis, which we now call the City of Calgary. This three-part podcast focuses on democracy and civic engagement in Alberta and topics including changing voter demographics, polarization, and ultimately how we move forward. In this episode, our panel discusses different ways beyond the ballot box that we can engage in the democratic process. Our host is Lori Williams, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at MRU. She is joined by our MRU alumni panelists, Tommy Jele, Diamond Reed, and Chris Turner. Welcome everyone. My name is Lori Williams. We're here to talk about democracy today and and with me are a number of uh, alumni from Mount Royal University who have both experience as students and out in the world and some insights on on how to make democracy work a bit better for them and and for all of us. So just to tell you a little bit about me, um, I teach here at Mount Royal University and I've done so for quite a few years, met lots of people that are in the, the demographic that nobody expects to be uh, politically involved. And, and indeed, they may not always vote, but they, they, they do care about a lot of issues and, and meaningful democratic engagement and participation can take a number of different forms. Uh, and with me here today, uh, I'll let my colleagues uh, introduce themselves, starting with Tomi. Hi, my name is Tomi. What brings me here today is that um, I grew up in Alberta and growing up black and on the prairies, I always oriented my identity towards what I was seeing around me. And I always felt particularly um, politically irrelevant, if that makes sense. I always kind of wondered what impact I actually had, how relevant my voice was. And I think now growing up, I'm really, I'm in the business of story. I work in the civic engagement space, but I also am a writer and have a a history in communications and public relations. So I'm always really interested in dialogue and nuanced conversations can really act as the like antidote to the soundbite culture that we're living in right now and how it can yield real understandings. My next colleague is, is Diamond Reed. Hi, everyone. My name is Diamond, and I was raised by a single black woman in both urban and rural environments from BC to Ontario, but a majority of that time being spent uh, here in Alberta. Uh, My mom was 14 when she had me. Uh, She didn't finish high school, 
uh, but she still found a way to nurture me uh, and my siblings, of course, even though it was in a society that wasn't there to fully nurture her. I remember in my youth, I would question a lot about why we couldn't afford a home. Why did shelters not have all of the resources uh, to accommodate us and other people like us? Why were access to things like public transportation and other welfare services so important, but also why were they kind of hard to come by? I think about the, uh, the political and the policy decisions uh, that disproportionately impacted my mom uh, and myself as a black and indigenous woman here in Canada. And by the time that I graduated high school, I realized that I wanted to be more conscious of it. And that drove me to pursue further education, particularly in policy studies here at MRU, which gave me the community to actually be able to gain some of that consciousness and figure out how to engage more uh, civically, uh, so then I could be more of an advocate, you know, offer help to other people that may have had similar uh, situations uh, who might look like me um, and who also want to consciously acknowledge what is going on in our democracy um, because it's important to understand yourself and other people in order to ultimately build solidarity. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Diamond. And our next colleague is Chris Turner. Thanks, Lori. My name is Chris Turner. My Experience here in Canada is a little more limited. I moved here in my early 20s from the United States, and I went back to school at MRU as an older student, and it was a great experience, a little intimidating, but a great experience nonetheless, and I am of the mindset just to be a lifelong learner. There's no better way to learn than to have conversations with people. Couldn't agree more. I'm learning a lot. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is the people that are with me at this table represent um, an age group that is typically thought to be not as engaged in politics. And I just have to say, even though the, the stats, which I'm going to talk about in a second, do reflect lower voter turnout amongst younger Canadians or people in general, the, there are other ways of participating, other ways of, of making democracy work, making representation meaningful, not the sort of partisan or party-oriented kind of ways of, of orienting, which could include voting. By way of background, in the 2021 federal election, the 18 to 24 age group uh, had a 47% turnout, not that much below actually the national average. By contrast, the 65 to 74 group, uh, their turnout was 75%. That's a 27% gap. Um, now, voter turnout, generally speaking, is it hovers around um, uh, a bit under 50%. The lows, since about 1930, the low was 41.1% uh, in 1958. The highs, interestingly, all, all above 50% were in 79, 84, 88, and 93. Um, and there have been surveys that have done uh, to try to get a handle on why it is that young people aren't as engaged in politics. One is that they're just less interested in the kinds of politics that are represented in elections and so forth. Um, a sense that they don't think voting will make a difference. I always have to give my plug. In 2015, there was a tie in Calgary-Glenmore in the uh, provincial election, so every vote does count. Another is they don't think the government cares about what they think or, or, or won't respond to that. And this is important, I think. They see voting as a choice and not as a duty. Uh, I was on a panel earlier this week with Nick Manos, and he was talking about how something has changed in his time looking at polling, where he's noticed over time that young people are much less optimistic now than they used to be. And I, I'm guessing people at this table can tell us a bit more about 
what that's about. He thought it, it centers around, um, there's less hope and optimism about, optimism about, about their own future than in previous years, not generations, years. Uh, higher levels of economic anxiety, concerns about political instability, and feeling really squeezed or crushed, um, not seeing the opportunities for them that others have had. By contrast, I'm also seeing more consequential engagement from some groups, like LGBTQ2S um, groups seem to be having just a huge uh, impact in all kinds of ways that, that, that are consequential, and more so than they have been in previous years. And we know all of these stats about low voter, t voter turnout amongst young people, we know they were a significant factor in the election of Obama in the United States in 2008. Mahed Nenshi, oh, and of course it wasn't just because of young people, a lot of people in all age groups voted for him, but the fact that he mobilized so many young people was a real feature of that campaign. And the same thing with Justin Trudeau. What, what does voting mean in, in your experience and amongst those that, that you connect with? And, and secondly, what about alternatives? What other kinds of participation, democratic participation, community participation are meaningful to you? I get a lot more um, impact from me posting something. I get, I get a feeling that I'm making a bigger difference if I can reach my direct uh, uh, peers and the people around me rather than going in and checking off you know, a box um, after waiting in line for two hours in my neighborhood once every four years or however long it is. There's newer challenges with what voting can give back to you. You don't necessarily see that impact as much when you can get so much more, um, so much more feedback from mm. what you're used to with social media and even just talking around your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's something that is maybe a little more lost is the fact that you don't see your voting impact yeah. as clearly. Yeah, so anyone else want to weigh in on this? At least just given my upbringing, voting was actually something that I, I wasn't exposed to at a young age. I actually never witnessed um, adults in my life actively voting. Uh, I wasn't raised in a place where it was considered a civic duty. Um, or really where it took priority, and that's due to a multitude of different reasons. Um, one of them being something that I think is still relevant today uh, is accessibility. Mm -hmm. um, I know for myself, like I, I moved out when I was 16, came to Calgary, started post-secondary um, in 2018, and I remember for, it was my first time voting actually, and I had no idea how to even go about it. I had like my roommate who was a few years older than me. I was like trying to ask all of these questions. I'm like, where do I go? Who are the people? What are like, what are their priorities? Like what's who, like, who's worth voting for? Like, who are your top three? Can you give me some suggestions? Like, how long is this gonna take? What do I need to bring? And I just remember there being so much panic and being like, oh my gosh, like I'm very much outside of my comfort zone, mm. not familiar with this at all. At the time I was in a community I wasn't familiar with. I just moved there for school, didn't really have a chance to explore. And they're like, yeah, go to your, like this random elementary school. And it's like, I don't know where that is or how to even get in. Luckily I could just like follow some of the people and kind of just be like, okay, yeah, kind of pretending that I'm knowing what I'm doing, but you get there 
see all of these people and you're like, oh, that's so cool that they're engaging and like that they know what's going on. But why am I even here if I don't know what's going on? Mm -hmm. So like really like is my vote going to be meaningful if I have no understanding of all of the different stances that mm -hmm. are here? Like am I just throwing away a vote because I'm like, oh yeah, it's my duty to vote. But if I don't actually understand the impact behind what I'm advocating for or subscribing to, how meaningful is it? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that I'm not the only young person uh, that's had to go through that. It can be a very intimidating environment to navigate. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily here at the university too, I remember when we participated in the election, uh, it was really helpful to actually have polling booths here and to actually have people that were like literally right by your side and they were like, this is how this works. And you know, I had friends there that were like, these are some of the places where you can find their platforms and get to know more about the candidates and see what actually resonates with you. Or if there's a question, you could be like, can you just clarify this for me? Mm -hmm. They were actively involved, I'd say more so, in helping me understand the voting process and feel a lot more comfortable and satisfied with putting a check mark or an X on a piece of paper and sending it away. That's really great, Diamond, and it actually reflects the, the, some of the uh, reasons for young people not voting are from a 2015 National Youth Survey. They're less likely to receive a voter information card. They, they don't know how to register and how to vote. Um, and they see the voting process as too difficult, especially if they don't know what's going on. You're not alone. You don't have any idea. And if you don't know and, and don't get started, it's pretty intimidating. Yeah, I feel like there's so much to be said for the inaccessibility of voting. I remember my first time voting and being so excited to vote. I'm pretty sure it was a, um, in a provincial election. And I was recently 18. I was so excited to vote. So it wasn't even like I wasn't planning on it or wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking about it. But I got there and like, I thought you voted for the premier. Like I, I got there and I was like, wait, I don't know any of these names. Like who, who are these people? Like what does all of this mean? And then, yeah, like you said, like I remember walking over there like feeling like a fraud. Like I was just like, I just put a check mark down. Like, wow, that felt awful. Like I was excited about this, but there's something about that process that feels so discouraging. And so you're kind of thinking, well, you know, there's no point in me actually voting, which I think is a really fair sentiment. I don't think that's, you know, absurd to think that. But then I think that policies also reflect that because, I mean, to your point of those numbers of like four, like 40 something percent nationally for youth um, voter turnout. I know in Alberta specifically, it's way lower, like it's really, really low. And I think that when we have people and leaders in positions of power, often their, their policies will reflect that because they're thinking, you know, what can I put into place um, that'll help me get reelected? And who is voting for me? Who's mm -hmm. voting at all? And then they're thinking, well, youth aren't voting, so I don't have to design policies that are going to benefit them. And so I think even thinking about that, like, civic duty piece, I totally understand being like, eh, I don't, I don't want to vote. It doesn't feel impactful for me. Like, I think that's t a totally fair stance. But I think even thinking of it as a duty to yourself to show up in the data, like just mm -hmm. even showing up to vote can say like, I'm here, I'm present. And for them to see that like, you know, you care, they show up, they vote. And that kind of forces, I think, leaders a little bit more to actually consider um, them and us as a, as a demographic. Absolutely, that's true. Because as we saw fairly recently with Doug Ford in Ontario wanting to use the notwithstanding clause uh, with respect to frontline education workers, the groundswell of opposition, not just in Ontario, but across the country, caused them to back down. Knowing that you might lose the next election can make a difference. What are the alternatives? What are the other ways that you think we can engage meaningfully 
uh, what are the issues that you're concerned about in his leadership? How important are organized groups? How important are, are some of the new um, means of connection online? Voting really isn't the only form of political engagement, and I think especially within this growing world of access to the internet and being able to advocate for yourself and for others and seeing what's going on around the world and having, I guess, more of a platform. Like most people typically have, or younger people have maybe even a hundred, multiple hundreds of followers, close friends, um, really cool organizations that they follow to keep up to date on some things, to get a sense of what's actually going on in the world. So social media is a really important tool for younger folks to actually be able to engage more politically in a space where they're more comfortable because at least for myself like that's kind of the environment I was raised on is being more tech savvy and being able to communicate in that way too. I also think of things like boycotting or canceling. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately canceling is a bit more of a fear-mongering tactic and can be really aggressive and perhaps not appropriate at all times. But I think it's also cool that we've developed a space where we can, I think, uplift our voices a lot more. Um, and I think other things like being able to sign petitions, that being uh, a virtual thing too, uh, is extremely helpful. Um, being able to partic participate uh, in marches and demonstrations, especially as we've seen within the past couple years too. Um, and being able to volunteer with groups or organizations that you really resonate with. What are the things mm. that I value and what are the things that I want to advocate for and who are the people that I want to be able to support? Um, and also, are stories similar? And can I learn more from these people and be able to evolve my political engagement personally? And one other thing, sorry, that I also think of is sports, actually, or sports groups. I think we've seen this sort of recreational diplomacy, particularly in the US, but I think these groups really allow folks, especially younger people, to connect earlier on with people and to be able to have that sense of solidarity almost more immediately than just kind of navigating the world on your own and trying to figure out where your polling station is and trying to figure out how to vote on your own. You really connect with this community of people and you get to learn about their experiences and you maybe even get to learn about some of the challenges that they're facing and then that becomes something that you're a lot more in tune with um, and perhaps want to learn more about and become more engaged. So engagement you're saying through community whether it's online or, or in, in person learning from others and maybe strategizing collectively to, to advocate for the things that, that are important. It's a lot less intimidating too, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not just on your own kind of exploring this realm of, oh, these are different issues. Do other, how do other people feel about this? Mm -hmm. When you actively have um, a group that shares different values, maybe even identities with you, it makes it a lot easier to be able to engage more politically um, and it actually uh, have a sense of belonging within your community, which I think in turn can also enable you to want to get involved in your community more. Yeah, I just want to echo everything you said. I think that's there, that's all so important in finding those kind of different accessibility points into democratic engagement and um, how, yeah, that does increase like one's own sense of belonging and just desire to 
contribute in other ways. Finding other people who care about what you care about and are already doing what you're doing and how can you get involved. And I think also thinking about local municipal politics a lot too, because I think people often don't think about how accessible their like local leaders are and their city councilors are. And if you find a group of people that you're just kind of like you want to have a discussion or you want to talk about a certain topic, you could literally like get a group of friends together and invite a city councilor to like come and hang out and talk and say we want to do a dinner or you know have like a lunch and or you know throw a fundraiser for an organization that you're excited about the work that they're doing but yeah really just gathering like-minded people so I'm, I want to pick up on that leadership bit there because you're referring to elected officials as leaders and I'd like to open the floor other kinds of, of leaders folks that aren't affiliated with this party or that party but have you had any just impressions they're not necessarily personal experiences with leaders that aren't that aren't elected officials but are leaders in the community that are making a difference there's multiple different types of leaders um, as you said it doesn't have to be a, a someone that's holding office or holding any sort of chair of power uh, someone who maybe just looks like you and gets out there and is more involved, or maybe someone that doesn't look like you and gets out there and gets more involved in something that you care about. Finding uh, an ally that it, you know supports you in a way that maybe you didn't know that you needed. Um, and then you can become your own leader and you can help uh, with that aspect. But I think that technology is allowing leaders to manifest in many different forms. Like you can get out there with your phone and a microphone and before you know it, you're reaching people that might you never would have been able to access before. What a great way to build on your, your community, your local municipality. How much more powerful is my vote that I'm voting for someone who's going to directly impact me? Mm -hmm. Sure, federal politics directly impact me too, but where I live, that's mm -hmm. in some cases way more important. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say it, when I voted in the States, I wouldn't even know who was voting or who was running for governor, but I knew who was gonna be, I was gonna vote for president. So that mind shift I think is really important to find leaders that are maybe not more impactful to you, but impactful in a different way. Yeah, arguably, like even just like my personal experience at MRU, because coming into this program of policy studies, not really having um, much of a basis to go off of, um, other than just like my personal experience and being like, oh, okay, so this is what the world kind of looks like for me, but how does it actually work? What are the moving gears behind it all? Uh, being able to hear varying perspectives from, I would say, a fairly diverse group of leaders within the policy program, uh, whether that would be people like you, Lori, like having uh, women being able to inform us of all of these different facets of law, um, being able to actually learn how some of, being able to actually learn how democracy works, um, being able to actually learn how you can communicate these things and develop policy uh, if you do want to advocate for things or be able to support um, a particular government. Like that's, it's indirectly impacting, I guess, um, my democratic engagement um, because you're actually giving me a basis to be able to explore and to learn um, and to actually feel a lot more better equipped to actually go out into that world than before um, I got here. Yeah, I think it's so easy to think about leadership as holding a position of power or authority and I feel like I've really seen it displayed as like just 
contribution and really I knew I know for me some of the most powerful forms of leadership I've seen is when somebody gives me language to describe something that I've been having a really hard time describing like you said like an experience or you know somebody speaks out about something and you're like yes like I thought I was the only one who went through that or like that's the perfect way of putting this thing that I've I've experienced so I think yeah just that ability to kind of speak up or speak to an experience you've had or and I, I feel like we're just in such a great season for this now too in, in terms of like people are really excited about, you know, opinion jur- journalism and, and, you know, like more first person stories, like people are really interested in that type of thing. So I think even just the ability to like, you know, speak to your experience, write something like all of these things can feel very personal, but they are actually so democratic to your point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And can I just quickly say, too, that um, when we were talking about these groups of, like, these volunteer groups, you you sometimes want to be careful with this, but it sometimes creates a safe space because advocacy Mm -hmm. isn't always safe for all people. Like, certain people may advocate for certain things and other people may have very strong beliefs or values against that. And it can be a very dangerous environment to go in on your own. Um, But sometimes, too, if you have people there with you, sometimes, like, if you do speak up, someone might like chime in and be like, oh my gosh, I was also feeling that. I was mm. also thinking exactly. that. Thank you for actually raising that. Exactly. I'm glad someone else was thinking it so then we could actually develop this idea. And then you just made a connection that way as well. Mm-hmm. And that is that is being democratic. Uh, and I would say also with people that you disagree with. It's so easy to say, well, I disagree, you're wrong. I mean, in this world, there's a tendency to think people are, are who disagree with us are stupid or evil and maybe misinformed or all of the above. But, but asking a few questions about where they're coming from can open a, not always, but it can open a conversation and that can make a difference. Because if you assume everybody who thinks those things is whatever you assume about them, and then you have a conversation and you realize when you're actually meeting someone that there are roots, there are, there are foundations to these views, to these concerns, to these fears or whatever they're experiencing. And when you reach across those and communication and make compromise or, or middle ground is, is, is possible. That was our alumni panelists featuring Tommy Ajele, Diamond Reed, and Chris Turner. A special thank you to our host, Lori Williams. The views and opinions expressed by the host and speakers reflect their personal experiences and perspectives and are not representative of Mount Royal University or the Office of Alumni Relations. Big Ideas is powered by the Office of Alumni Relations at Mount Royal University with the support of the Community Podcast Initiative. It's recorded in the audio production suite at Riddell Library and Learning Center. I'm Noel Ermita. Thanks for joining us. Here's a sneak peek into Episode 2 featuring Tommy, Chris, Diamond, and Lori digging into populism, discord, and how we can all start listening to each other again. How do you find that neutral zone for communication where it, maybe it is just a, not a vent, but a, an ability just to be heard? Mm. Um, but then that can start the conversation, I think. Mm. But sometimes, sometimes you can't be neutral. And sometimes it gets to the point where you as a person, regardless of, actually no, because of your intersectionality, um, you are exhausted 
And sometimes the only time you are heard is, you know, maybe it goes viral that someone in the House of Commons finally had an outburst about the reality of, you know, like what women, particularly, particularly Indigenous women, are facing in Canada. Mm. It gets to the point where you hear all of these different ideas, but it's almost like yours that you've been hammering out for so long continues to just get swept under the rug. Until then, stay connected at MRU Alumni and keep thinking big.